You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Give me a three, two, one. Three, two, one. Yay. This is Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio. I'm your host, Professor David Kirk Philp. Today I'm with Todd Shefflin. Todd is a big deal. Todd is the senior manager. Is that how you say senior man? Senior manager of music partnerships and global business development at ByteDance, which also owns the TikTok platform. He's also half of, di- of the dynamic contemporary jazz duo, the JT Project. Is Jacob going to be here with us today? Not today, unfortunately. He's uh, just getting off of the cruise ship on the coast of uh, Okinawa, Japan. Okinawa. I know it well. That almost sounds like the, uh, what, what's the, the, the girl from Okinawa? <laughs> that can be the 21st century. Da, 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 da. Oh, no, wait, I don't, let me not go. Oh, that's right, because you just that was three notes. I think three no, there's precedent for three notes. Okay. okay. We'll speak with our president about the precedent. There we go. Before we get into this, the reason why we're speaking like this is we just learned about what A... What, tell me again what ASMR stands for. Um, why did you have to ask me what it means? You know, <laughs> but it's where people whisper. Yes. That's so satisfying. Yes, <laughs> it's it's the twenty uh, first century version of NPR, National Public Podcasting. We should give thanks. Do you mind if I give some thanks? I'm going to give some thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready. Usually the hyphen sound is done by Dr. Esteban Marconi, who you know, who could not be here today. He is on assignment. By the way, if you're listening to this, and you should be, go sign up for our newsletter, musicbiz101wp.com. Go to Instagram, Twitter, Book at musicbiz101wp, and you're listening to this probably on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, possibly live on Brave New Radio. It's not live, though, because we're pre-recording this, because we are Music Biz 101, Music Biz, at Music Biz, in the Music City, we're in Nashville. And music biz conference. There we go. I keep tripping myself up. We want to give final thanks to when I point to you, will you say please say oi? We want to give thanks to Christine Vey, well, a wealth manager and president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professions, professionals at William Patterson all over the world manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan out for your retirement, or if you have questions on anything from investments, portfolio management to insurance, retirement planning, please give Christine a call at, repeat after me, 732-455-1510. You can email her, well, back to her, oi, email her. Christine at veywealth.com for advisement. Need the last oi off for savings. So Todd Shefflin is a graduate of the music business program at William Patterson, the University of William Patterson. Did you know it's ranked one of the best in the nation by Billboard magazine? Absolutely. Oh, you did? Yes. Oh, well, I guess you're so great. (laughs) And, um, Second year in a row, and you, so we, we're here at Music Biz, and you might find this interesting. Yeah. Rolling Stone lately has been upping their game as it relates to the music industry and promoting 
the music industry and, and giving some like in-depth coverage. And they big, made a big announcement today how they're uh, putting out new charts uh, by Buzz Angle. Do you know what Buzz Angle is? Uh, you should because you're now a tech dude. And um, Buzz Angle has partnered with Rolling Stone or Rolling Stones. The parent company of Rolling Stone has bought into Buzz Angle, which it creates charts, but more accurate charts than what Billboard has been doing and putting out for a number of years. So Rolling Stone is now going to be sort of on par with Billboard, apparently, or they're going for that space, which is, is good for us. And why did I bring that up? Because maybe Rolling Stone will put out a best music business schools at some point. So we're, I guess, going to have to start sleeping with all the people at Rolling Stone to see if we can get on their list. No, I mean, that's amazing. You deserve to be number one for that. Yeah. Yeah, without sleeping with anybody, just be number one. Just on merit alone. Really, that's really cool. It's it's a meritocracy. This is the meritocracy podcast. All right, so we've talked about ASMR. I've, as you can tell, raised my voice a little bit. Not like that, but I've raised my voice, the the energy level. So we're here. And so why don't we, before we get into this, we've had you on the podcast before. We actually had you and Jacob on before. Can you give us your trajectory from music business student to how you got to where you are now? Well, then we'll cover it sort of in two chunks. We could talk about the music and then we could talk about ByteDance and TikTok. I don't know which order you would prefer to go in because for listeners, they're both pretty cool. So, uh, and they're both very relevant. So I'll let you lead and I will follow. Great. Yeah. Um, so very quickly, I, I was at William Patterson University from 2006 to 2010 where I studied music in the jazz program as well as business. And mm -hmm. had a music business, music management degree was where it finally ended up for me. Mm -hmm. um, it was a fairly, it was a more of a new degree at that point, but it was very, it was, it was an incredible experience. After that point, um, so I played saxophone. I had a band called the JT Project. We traveled the world. Um, we still do. And I always worked uh, in the music business as well. I had my first internship at a uh, independent music publisher based in Hoboken, New Jersey called Missing Link Music, where I believe other uh, William Patterson University students have also like began working at it. Mm -hmm. that. I spent seven years there working up the ranks, kind of my post-doctorate in, uh, in the music business. I learned everything there's to know about. Everything, but I learned a lot about publishing and record labels and international royalty collection and licensing agreements, synchronization licensing. I mean, it was a it was a school. It was my second education. Um, and after seven years there, I joined uh, the business development and licensing team at Spotify, where I helped negotiate the uh, agreements between the major record labels and Spotify for the global agreements. Uh, and then after a short period of time there only about 11 months, I hopped over to this incredible company called ByteDance, and we'll get into all about that later, but ByteDance owns TikTok, and at ByteDance, I kind of oversee a lot of different things, but, and let's, we, I'd love to talk about all of, the, all of that, but the main responsibility I have currently is to ensure that ByteDance and TikTok is, is viewed as a premier partner to the music industry. Um, and then more granular, on a more granular level, my goal is to ensure that all of our licensing negotiations with the record labels are um, we're in compliance. We are uh, negotiating with all of those record labels, getting the best deals possible, um, explaining the platform to the global digital business development teams at all of the major record labels, um, and uh, getting the deals done to ensure we have those licenses in place. Okay, that's great. And there's a ton to go yeah, a over, a ton to go over. So this will be a seven-hour show. Uh, let me also introduce somebody uh, to do Tope Ojo. I do pronounce today Tope Jojo. Ojo. <laughs> Sorry. Tape Ojo. Tape Ojo. Yes. Okay, I'm closer because I remember Close. yesterday you said pronounce the J. Yes. Because of my Spanish background, um, I want to say Ojo, which means I in Espanol. Not sí. E-Y-E, not I as in yo, senor, yo. Because you know, we did start the podcast because um, he's a, a senior whatever, but we called him the senior manager. Uh -huh. Of course, at the end of the podcast, <laughs> we will say adios, but Very nice. we're still in the beginning side. So um, to, uh, Todu is going to have some questions for you as well. He goes to Vanderbilt University. Yes. Uh, yes, yes so this well. is Todd. You guys want to shake hands? Yeah, sure. All right, I'm, uh, this is 
is that's great radio right there. Great. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So let's go back. So uh, William Patterson, you were there for four years, then you were at Missing Link. Did, did you, and you said you interned at Missing Link. Okay. One thing I want to talk about at Missing Link, because you have been into our classes before when you were there. Talk about the money that you were able to find for artists yes. when you were at Missing Link. So main responsibility of any publisher is to ensure that whenever their songwriters or their catalog is being exploited, um, and there are a plethora of number of ways that happens, uh, that there's proper royalty collection infrastructure in place for those exploitations. So, and we call this the publishing administration. It's the admin part. Not, it's not a very sexy part of the business, but it is the primary responsibility of the publisher. So there are tons of different um, ways that royalties are collected. Um, you have domestic mechanical royalties in the U.S., which are paid from the record labels. Uh, um, there's performance royalties, which are paid from ASCAP. CSAC and BMI, there's international mechanical royalties, which are paid from the various collection societies around the world, such as PRS um, in, uh, in the UK, HEMA in Germany, uh, Jazz Rack in Japan. Uh, so these are various companies where these royalties are collected. It's a very, very complex world. There's lots of different rights holders on every single song. And there's small splits. Uh, you know, as One writer might have 12.35% on a song, another writer might have 17.64% on a song. Um, it's a lot of confusion because there's no central database where all this information is stored. It's not very glamorous, but in terms of understanding the fundamentals of rights and ownership and the separation between the publishing copyright and the sound recording master copyright, it was essential to my laying the foundation for my, uh, for my knowledge and business. So, I'm trying to think, there was uh, I don't know if it was... NWA or what yeah. it was NWA yeah. what explain that situation about the money yeah there are various various situations like that it's a great example so NWA has the, one of the most iconic songs in the in probably in, in American history at the police right uh, so our company owns uh, a a song that is sampled in the NWA oh, okay. by, uh, by the uh, famous jazz piano player Harry Whitaker. Uh, we, were, uh, the company I worked for, they represented this entire catalog. Um, and because of whenever there's this sample that occurs, it opens. It not only gives us our ownership of the original work, but then any derivative works that occur. So, for example, NWA at the, uh, at the police. We're now entitled to that. The publishing company is now entitled to a percentage of the new derivative work and any of its uses. So, a big part of uh, what I worked on while I was there was uh, first and foremost uh, obtaining that new copyright, so acquiring the copyright, so going through the settlement agreements with the various parties of the of the derivative work to showcase that we indeed did have a sample, so we had to prove this. And then once we proved it and the settlement was complete, it opens, we had to then go and register all the different versions of At The Police, the different compilations, um, all over the world and all the different collection societies. And my most exciting thing that I worked on with that song was uh, I was working there when they did the NWA biopic on the Universal Picture. So I was able to license that song for the movie and it was an incredible experience because it was a huge usage. I mean, you can't have that film without that song. Mm -hmm. So there were two different points in the, in, the, in the movie where they wanted to use the song. It was a, it was a great negotiation experience because we had a lot of leverage, you know, in that case. So, um, and it's just wonderful. I, I love everything about that catalog because I got to learn about more about NWA and NWA's, at least the last I checked, um, the entire estate is managed by Easy uh, 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 wife. So it's not like some main publisher that represents mm -hmm. the catalog. Like she runs it with uh, with a, a lawyer, you know, a family attorney, and it's a very still a homegrown thing. Very cool. So what I just learned and figured out is in subsequent jobs, including what you're doing now at ByteDance slash TikTok, is you're doing negotiations with labels. So that was sort of, I don't want to call it the minor leagues, but that was sort of, you know, uh, rookie status. You know, you're d doing something that's not to the level that you're doing now. Um, 
So, so that's kind of cool. So you were getting job led to job led to job, and you could see the trajectory of your career. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that I was very fortunate where I never was put in a situation. I mean, I always learned every situation, but each, each job and each experience perfectly led me into the next one, and it never made me feel like I was too overwhelmed. Like, I, I, there was still learning curve, but I had skills set up to allow me to learn. Okay. Do you have anything about missing link, or can we continue? Um, I mean, one thing I just wanted to ask is, is kind of general. Um, is just how how the percentages of the royalties um, how is that determined between artist to artist? Is there like you said, there's no like database that stores all of that? Is it just based on like the contract that you guys agree on, or how does that work out? So there are databases that store it. Yeah. Okay. Way too many of them. I see. They're all different, and so matching them all up. There's no centralized database. Um, hopefully, that will change at least in the U.S. with respect to the Music Modernization Act and the Mechanical Royalty Licensing Collective, where there will be a centralized database. But that's going to take years, yeah, by the way, uh, to get. To get, yeah. Exactly. I see. So, um, so, but getting back to the original question, so how do the question is how do writers decide on what splits they're going to get? Right. So it, it's really you know it's a case by case, but it's just basically decided amongst all of the writers on the song. Okay. Um, lot the most common experience that I was that I always heard of um, from our writers was you know they're in the studio and they're just they kind of decide right then and there or they finish the song and they kind of talk about it. Um, I but what's important for any uh, writers who are just getting into the game, you know, you you really want to make sure you kind of talk about at least at least talk about it after the song is done when you're in the room when you're in the studio and at the most in the best case scenario like have a split sheet with you you know obviously it's a relationship type experience and for sure you, know, you don't want to be lame or you don't want to come off as weird or whatever but um there are many instances where the split sheet is like the i mean it is the it is the you know the holy cross in regards to like finding out who owns what and if there wasn't one in place it really puts um it takes a lot of wind out of the sails of any rights holder that is trying to make a claim or so and it'll destroy friendships and and all of that and professional relationships again for those listening a split sheet is just on a, p a single piece of paper how much each writer owns of this song and they decide in the, so in Nashville it's pretty much if you're in the room if they're three in the room for example they're just going to split it three ways that's sort of the understood way but outside of Nashville um, it's especially in pop music if you look at Seven Rings uh, by Ariana Grande has ten, nine or ten writers two are Rodgers and Hammerstein um, who are the rights to that are owned by Concord Music Publishing their theatrical or their dramatic division um, and they own 90 percent the other 10 percent of that song are split between seven or eight other people well wow. and so they're in a room at some point and they're deciding of this 10 percent who's going to get what and ariana is one of the 10 so that's where it goes right back to leverage and yeah, the example yeah. you just gave is, is the norm the Na nashville and the way they do things down here with you know two or three writers is the only exception that really exists mm -hmm. you know unless you're a, a completely um, isolated artist that creates and writes all of your own music. You know, the, any kind of popular major label music has so many different writers or and or samples on it. Right. Yeah, and lots of times a big pop star will state even though that person might not have done a thing on the song, if, if I'm going to do your song to do, um, part of our deal is I get 5% okay. right off the bat, even though yeah. I didn't do anything. But yeah, that's... You also see a lot of industry executives as writers on songs as well, even though they had no input whatsoever <laughs> from a creative standpoint on the song. Simply they were, used their position as leverage to uh, maintain some kind of publishing credit and uh, percentage of the song. Or producers. And I'm not, there's a blurred line now, no pun intended, when we, you know, do you understand that there was a whole I, I lawsuit, the blurred line thing, <laughs> but a blur, blurry line now between music production and writing. So a lot of producers say, are, are saying, I want part of the publishing as well, because there's also more money on the publishing potentially than on the sound recording, mm. which is where the producer historically has gotten a percentage of your uh, master use royalty. I see. Now I'd rather get 
so I'll take some of that, but I also want some of the publishing, even though I didn't write a bit, but I'm saying I'm producing it, so it's kind of writing it for you, which is or isn't, you know, 20 years ago wasn't true. When but. you say producer, though, because when I think of the word producer now, I think of the person making music of the song, uh, specifically in, in genres like hip-hop or, or pop music. It's, the producer is the one like that's making the... the, the that's what I'm saying. That, that's what I'm saying. It's it's a blurry line now because in Nashville that's different. In Nashville, it's the guy behind person behind the board, the traditional producer. Is I'm using the traditional, yeah. Versus today, the producer is making the making the beat or whatever. Yeah, because if they're making the beat, then to me, making the beat, you're a songwriter. You know, we're just. I'm not saying we're arguing about semantics, we're but it, it's semantics, you know, nowadays. You know. No, no, that's right, because it, yeah, totally, because it's, yeah, and pop music production is different from, we'll call it rock or Nashville or something. Like, if you put out a Foo Fighters record, they're going to follow the way it's always been in the rock and roll world. But if you're in hip hop or traditional music, it's going by what's what the words and terms and how it is today just different you know yeah. but it's all that's the business and so what makes it so great todd <laughs> so let's talk about something else exciting well, i don't work with publisher anymore i know <laughs> which is the perfect segue because we you left missing link you went to spotify before we talk about spotify i think what a lot of people will find very interesting is how you got the job at Spotify. It wasn't uh, you just applied online and yeah, Todd, come on in. Okay, you got the job. It was much more yeah, was, to it than that. That was a process. Hmm. It was a three-month interview process with various Google Hangout video calls and people all over the world that I would be working with. And eventually, I think the last interview I did was I actually went to the physical office and met with somebody in real IRL in real mm. life. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, there's just lots of time in between each interview. I had to do a case study presentation where I put together a slide deck on a particular uh, issue that I would, like a hypothetical issue that I was working on. Um, uh, are you guys interested in hearing what that was? Yes, sure. Yeah. So, yeah, so one of my responsibilities at Spotify was to do deals. So a big part of growth for subscribers in Spotify, at least in developing markets, is to do deals with um, telcos. So explain telco. Telco is a telecommunication company uh, in the U.S. You have the biggest, which is Verizon, AT and T, Sprint, where you get your cell phone bills. Gotcha. In the U.K., you have or in other parts of Europe and, and Middle East, you have companies like Vodafone, Telcom Sounds. You know, I got I became an expert on international telecommunications. <laughs> um, so the idea is, is people get. Oh, Everyone has some type of cell phone bill, even if it's a simple, like, even in countries where the data is bad and the network is bad and there's low credit card penetration, you have some type of cell phone bill and you pay with some type of recurring payment method. In the U.S., it's a credit card, but in places like India or Indonesia, they use these, like, wallets that, where they put cash into and it kind of sits. It's interesting. Interesting, you know, yeah. Outside of the West, you know, it's... Pay in all different kinds of ways. China, you have something, this thing called WeChat, which is how people pay for everything. Fascinating. I didn't know you could pay on WeChat. I knew you use like messaging, but. A car on WeChat. Wow. You can get a Didi, which is their version of Uber. You can do everything on WeChat. Gotcha. Um, it's it's fascinating. But that's that's for another time. But. Well, shoot, but yeah, they're they're way ahead. By the way, China is can, uh, way ahead of us in terms of. Yes. Uh, I, I heard a podcast. There's a podcast called Promoter 101, and there is a guy who does. Uh, a, I think he works for AEG Asia, and a lot of his business is in China. And he said the China Chinese market, they may go put let's, what the equivalent of ten dollars in their wallet, and three weeks may, later, three weeks later, they may still have that ten dollars in their wallet because everything they've done has been on WeChat. Yes. Has, has been paid through that, which they're trying to do through Apple Pay and other things right. in the U.S. and it's not, not working the same way. Anyway, so sorry. No, but now I remember what I was going to say. So the point is, is that in order to get subscribers on Spotify, especially in developing markets, and you want them to pay, you leverage the credit, the, the phone bills. So you go to a telephone company like Vodafone or Verizon in the U.S. You say, let's do an offer where you're going to launch. Uh, you're going to get anyone who subscribes to a particular service on Verizon or Tariff, um, three months Spotify for free. 
okay? And what you'll do is you give them away, they come on board, and then when they pay their cell phone bill, they're going to pay for Spotify in their cell phone. Okay. So it's like, it's like uh, out of sight, out of mind. Right. So now people are paying for it, it's just on their bill, and then that that payment is then passed to Spotify. Okay. And they, we call that integrated billing. So my case study was to understand a particular French uh, telco, why that would be a good partnership for Spotify in terms of the demographics in France, our uh, Spotify's growth in France, as well as why would it be a good deal for labels? So my goal is to create a whole presentation to sell it, to sell that deal internally and externally and coming up with logic and database driven arguments as to why it was good for Spotify and then if it's, usually, if it's good for Spotify it's usually good for the for the uh, rights holders as well. So you that could yeah so you can see Spotify isn't just hiring people off the street I mean they're, they're really <laughs> yeah. especially that what was that position that you were interviewing for? Managed, uh, uh, Want me to look it up on your LinkedIn? Licensing, uh, partnership licensing. Okay. Yeah. So I so when I was at Spotify, I handled all the partnership licensing. So anytime Spotify did any kind of deal with a third party company, whether it be a telco like we just talked about, Facebook, Google, uh, any kind of hardware device like Amazon Alexa or anything, all that stuff kind of also has to be. Um, either licensed or talked about with the record labels. There's different rules for different kinds of deals, but there needed to be somebody there who could um, communicate these deals to the rights holders and get them to buy into them as well. Uh, so a good example of one, uh, two or three that I'm really proud of very quickly, um, that we did uh, a partnership recently with Samsung that was huge, basically making Spotify and Samsung equivalent to Apple's system. So, you know, you buy an Apple phone and you get Apple Music. You buy a mm -hmm. Samsung Galaxy and you get Spotify. Okay. Pre-installed, pre-loaded. I had a big, so I'm very proud of that. It kind of finalized after I had already left, but I had a big, uh, I worked on it very hard. That was one thing. Another thing is uh, the integration between Instagram and Spotify. So you know how you can share out to Instagram what you're listening to on Spotify and in the top left corner on your stories it says play on Spotify. Yeah. That was, that I worked, I worked on the, the, uh, worked on that project as well very cool um, as well as the Google Maps integration that exists so you're walking around you can stream without leaving Google Maps app and then uh, Google Clock which is actually one of the most successful integrations we had so most people who have an iPhone don't use this but anyone who has an Android based phone uses Google Clock the same way they use the Apple alarm and it basically allows users to you to leverage the Spotify catalog and set their alarm to any song or sound off the Spotify library that they want. So those were those were a few examples that I worked on that I was really proud of. So I could use F the police as my alarm every morning if <laughs> it's I on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get you going in the morning. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, it's a positive way to begin your day and, yeah. and support our men in blue. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, so, so for example, you do Google Clock or or Google Maps. Who was creating? Who was starting those deals? Were you going to them? Were they going to you? Or even the Samsung? Was that somebody in Spotify? Are you guys brainstorming what's out there? Where can we get Spotify integrated into the world of everyday use that consumers are doing? Um, who was coming up with the initial contact between Spotify and whatever company? It worked both ways, um, but uh, most of the time it was companies coming to Spotify and wanting to integrate. That's the best way. No, I mean, it's... it's I'm it's, serious. As a sales person which is kind of what you're doing that's well, yeah but I don't mean it in a boastful way I just mean it just the nature of the product mm -hmm. like it makes sense and Spotify is built in such a way where it has an open um, API API explain that okay. yeah <laughs> so API is sort of like or um, um, is like a it's like a toolkit for developers so it I, I, to be honest it's a little over my head as well but it's the code right and and by having open 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 source, source so open yeah source code not fully open but an open code where developers can leverage different functionalities in Spotify so the search function or our catalog itself um, or the the uh, the widget aspect of it and they can actually take Spotify and stick it right into their own app 
So we have this open API for developers to leverage and integrate with easily. So that's just, I mean, that was that's the reason why most people would come to us and ask us how we can do it. A lot of people can just do it without even, like, as long as they follow the terms of service for the API. Hobbyist developers can do this themselves in, in, the, in their garage. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the big partners were the ones that we had to get more involved in to make sure we were all buttoned up and gave more like a white glove service. So a good example of that is uh, we have the Music Biz 101 WP.com website. If I put up a blog post and I want to include a Spotify playlist, I download this software that's called a plugin that allows me at no charge to incorporate that playlist into my blog post. That software was developed by some dude or dudette in their garage or their basement, wherever, and that they got that yeah, through the open source API. API. Exactly. Yeah. Right, right, right. And open source means it's free, they can just do it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's accessible on the Spotify developers uh, website, which anyone can access. So if there's any developers out there that want to mess with that, it's, it's open and easy to check out. And that's well, a really important point about how Spotify has grown, because Apple is not open source. Apple has been closed. And so sometimes when you're being too uh, dear with your product, it can stifle growth, at least in the short term. Maybe the long term it might help, but at least in the short term um, it doesn't help. And that's how spot one way Spotify was able to grow even faster. Uh, yeah, they are. It's true, but you're seeing that actually start to change. Because, um, Apple's growth on for Apple Music is, is flatlining a bit, and they uh, I think they just recently put their what what was the device that they put their stuff on? It was a non-Apple device, mm -hmm. Alexa or some type of Google device. Oh, Google Home. Google Home. I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean that is big deal. Like yeah. a couple of years ago, that's that was a big no-no conversation inside the Apple walls to do anything like that. So you're you're seeing that they're starting to. Uh, adopt some of the concepts of Spotify of, of ubiquity of being everywhere and anywhere. So Spotify, just so people understand how a deal may work, and you may know details that you don't have to release, but Alexa, for example, uh, Amazon Alexa or the Echo, they want to make it so that I can use voice recognition technology and say, hey, uh, Alexa, uh, pull up uh, Van Morrison's brown-eyed girl through Spotify. Do, would they have to? I don't have an Alexa, so do they have to say pull it up on Spotify or just pull it up? Uh, so I don't know where it currently sits. I I'm not sure what you're. What do you mean by the question exactly? I'm going. I'm across the room. I'm not sure what the exact uh, directive is to Alexa that you have to say, but I think okay. it is play on Spotify. Okay, so I would have to say on Spotify, pull up Van Morrison, Brown Eyed Girl, and then it'll. Play. Or I also think there's an option with the Alexa app where you can set your primary music app and then you just say play, oh, just, okay, and then it'll play it from Spotify if you set it as the primary okay. music app. That would actually make sense that that would be Spotify because Spotify is interactive no, versus... I, I think it's actually Amazon's music service would be the most common on Amazon true. Alexa because... Uh, most people have Amazon Alexa, have Amazon Prime, and then if you have Amazon Prime, you have Amazon Prime Music. Okay. Uh, which is, a, in, I mean, it's one of the most powerful tools in the music industry is that ecosystem that Amazon has. Fascinating. Through Amazon Prime? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the question was, let's say it's Amazon Prime wherever, but... Um, no, it has to be Spotify. So, so Spotify. So, let's say I set Spotify as my primary place since I'm subscribing to Spotify. Maybe I'm not Prime, whatever. Um, but I'm I'm going to pull up uh, Ben Morrison, Brown Eyed Girl, and then it starts to play. Would Amazon? Would Spotify? How would that deal work for that to to work? Would that just be something that Spotify would allow Amazon to have on their system, therefore creating more people, more higher growth for the Alexa uh, service? And you know what I'm talking about? Or are you asking what is the point of Amazon to do this? I understand the point, and the, the point would be, I'm Amazon, I want more people to use Alexa because we're selling that hardware, and every piece of hardware that goes out, maybe we'll sell more Prime, that's more software, obviously. Um, so having a, uh, Spotify available for users on that is good for us because more people, therefore, will use Alexa, which for various good reasons. So when that Spotify being present on Alexa, 
where did that, how, how is that deal structured? Is there money back and forth or is that just we're letting you do it kind of like yeah. you mentioned the open source API? These deals are much greater than just like the, I mean, I can't talk about specific deal points. Sure. So I'll just give it a very high level example. Like that's just one piece of a greater partnership. Mm -hmm. So Spotify probably has, obviously has some type of deal with Amazon. And it's, it's much greater than just the voice-activated Alexa. You know, it, it spans all different parts of the business. Um, I mean, I can't really, like, I can't really talk about that, you know. Just, no, I'm going to press you hard on that. Why won't you talk about it? What are you trying to hide, Todd? I mean, some deals include money, some deals don't. It's, it, you know, changes. But there's a deal. There's, there's some sort of deal. deal. That's really what I'm looking there's, for. There's, there's something. There's, there's, whole, there's a legal team and a whole deal team set up at Spotify to ensure that happens. Yeah. And that's a higher level than the example I gave before when I have my website and some developer in his bedroom. Exactly. So okay. So, good, so I believe it might have changed. That left, but the voice assistance uh, API toolkit is not open. Oh, okay. Right. So that is a that is a as a case by case, like has to be requested by certain developers. Okay. Yeah, and and we should specify there because Spotify has its own voice assistant technology. That's right. As does. Amazon, as does Google. Um, it's interesting how Google started it, and Amazon is really known for it. But I'll be driving, and I'll, because uh, I can't text or type as I drive, so I'll touch the uh, search on Spotify, because I'm a subscriber, and then I can just touch the icon for the microphone, for the old-fashioned microphone, and I'll no. say whatever. And sometimes it'll get it right. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> it doesn't always, but you... I, I never use that. Do you use it, that? Yeah, it, I use... Work? Yeah, it, do, it, it can work. Yeah. Um, but it, it's like, uh, we're, we're in voice recognition 1.0, I feel right now. I mm. feel where it's going to be in two years or one year is going to blow us away from where it is now. I mean, because uh, Siri, you know, Siri was just the baby, the infant, yeah. you know, and, and where it's going to go from there is, and I think the whole industry is actually looking at that and artificial intelligence, and which that's a division, actually a portion, another form of artificial intelligence, yeah. I guess. Just no, you can't, I don't think you can ask Siri like something on Spotify, which goes... Can't. Yeah. Which no. Really? The entire ecosystem. That's the Apple versus Spotify. Apple versus Spotify, and then, you know, and obviously there's some, there's a, like a, there's like this uh, anti-piracy lawsuit because of the app tax that Apple puts on Spotify and other apps when they use it. It's crazy, you know, it's... it's, it's it's a bit of a twisted system. Yeah, which makes it more interesting that we don't realize, because uh, I had forgotten as we were talking about Alexa, and I was talking about Spotify, 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 and you said, well, you know, Amazon has their streaming service, and they do, and it's like when we talk about on-demand streaming, it's number three behind Spotify, Apple, and Spotify and Apple, but we don't think about it as much. Um, but very quietly, it is number three. And if you recall, do you, uh, to do, do you recall Title? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so Title came out by Jay Z. Big, yeah, yeah, owned by Jay Z. Jay -Z and I know yeah. Sprint as a telco uh, made a big investment. Do you guys know that before Jay Z was involved, Title actually existed well before as a Swedish-based company? Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, interesting. And they've they've they've, they've just never made it. Like I, I was talking to a label president a couple months ago, who said we don't even talk about Title. Huh. Anymore, you know, it's it's fallen so much. This is a major label, mm -hmm. yeah. They're they're looking at Spotify. They're looking at the big the big three is Spotify, Apple, and Amazon Music, um, which is interesting. So there we go. So okay, so you were at Spotify. You talked a little bit about what you did. This interview is going very well. This is going very quick. Are you good to do? Oh, I'm so far? perfect. Yeah, uh, thank you. I, you are perfect. <laughs> you should look at this guy. He's like twelve feet tall, and he's like an Amazon man. So don't mess with him. He will destroy you. So. So, uh, so we left Spotify. Explain so people understand how you came to leave Spotify because you were totally happy there. Great company, great perks, and all that. Um, what was the process that led you to leave there? Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't looking for a new position, um, but Fight uh, Dance, uh, which owns TikTok, really needed to build out a music team, and um, they really needed someone who was looking for like the next step in their career. They, you know, the more I learned about ByteDance, the more I learned about TikTok, and the 
the ability for me to spread my wings at this kind of company and really set strategy at a very high level, um, you know, informing executives on major decisions and things like that. Uh, this was something I, I an opportunity I, I absolutely didn't want to pass up. You know, Spotify is a, is a, is a baked pie at this point, you know, like they're so much so that they just not even like they're trying to expand their business outside of music at this point, you know, so, so I, while I loved every minute of it, it's a great place to work, you know, and beautiful office and this travel and everything is really nice. Um, I just didn't feel like there was much, there, there was much room for me to really spread my wings, you know, like they, they really been doing this for a minute. It's, it's a, it's a business model that has been in the music industry now for 10 years. Uh, the precedent is set. It's, I mean, I would be very surprised if there was some major shift in the way the business model and the, the rights holders of Spotify moved in any significant way. Um, so, yeah, I just felt like here's an opportunity to build something from the ground up, build a music production team from, from the beginning. You know, this is incredible. So. Okay. Explain ByteDance, what ByteDance is, and also TikTok for those of you uh, used to be musically. Yeah. So, so, so it, it transforms. So explain what ByteDance is because most people might know TikTok. Well, millions of people know TikTok, but they don't know ByteDance. Right. So. Especially in the West. In yeah. the East, they know the kids very well. Um, so ByteDance is a tech company based in Beijing. Um, unlike most Chinese-based uh, tech companies, ByteDance is a true global company. So you look at companies that are also based in China, like Ten, the big one like Tencent or Alibaba, they are Chinese companies. They only want to deal in the China market, Southeast Asia. Um, at least as of right now, you haven't seen them try to reach into the Western world at all. ByteDance is a is their goal is to be the first Chinese company to be fully global. Okay. The way I think about ByteDance is um, the easiest way to explain it for Westerners is like think of it like Google, where Google makes all these different products, like the Google Suites, Gmail, Google Docs, Google Sheets, Google Maps, Google This, Google TV, Google Music, Google This, right? ByteDance is the same thing. They have 20 plus products, but the difference is instead of it being Google ByteDance this, ByteDance that, each product has its own brand and sits within its within itself. There may be within some apps that have some like uh, ease of like less friction between the two, but for the majority, each app kind of just sits by themselves and has their own functionality. Um, the first, the company's been around since 2012. It was started by a, general, uh, a young guy named Yi Ming, incredible entrepreneur and um, uh, uh, engineer, like you know, computer engineer developer. And they started with this uh, app called Totiao, which is the largest. It's like a, an all. It's like a Facebook, but for China, because Facebook is not in China. But it's more. But it's it's got news. It publishes uh, people's opinions on news. It publishes videos. It's the number one place where people like get their information. Okay. In the world, in China, um, it has a billion MAU. It, it's incredible. It's it's unbelievable. It's so big, in, in fact, that they have this thing called Totiao Missing Persons, which is when there's a report. It's kind of like Amber Alert, mm -hmm. but uh, but like so much more effective because you know every basically every single person in China that has a mobile phone or a smartphone uses Totiao no, as their number one source, at least. Um, and so they do is like. They get a, if the, they find out that a person is missing, they send out a push notification to every single user, and they, but they don't just send it out to every user, they, they find out, like, they get the details of where the person was last seen, and then they can geo, target, target where they're gonna send the notification out, so they can send it out to, like, 50,000 people in, like, a two-block radius, and, like, show this person is missing, and, like, people have been found, like, mm -hmm. Lots, thousands of people have been found as a result of this. Wow. It's fascinating. It's amazing. Uh, but this is the reach of, of Totiao. It's, so it's the bread and butter of ByteDance. And then from there, you have all these different apps, including TikTok, uh, Hello in India, which is a new one, um, Shigua, which means watermelon. It's another short form video. Uh, there's a few different other, like UGC. 
Hello is like a TikTok, but in all of the um, local vernaculars in India. So like they don't even speak English on Hello. It's and they don't even speak Hindi on Hello. So in India, there's hundreds of different languages and tons of different um, dialects, dialects and sects and sections of the country. So um, so this is a this is a place where all those different people get to communicate in a Twitter type experience. Uh, there's an education, there's education type apps. There's this new app that we just launched called Lark, which is sort of like our B2B um, uh, workplace experience module. So like, think of, are, are you both familiar with Slack? Not, mm-hmm. yeah, I've heard of it. But Slack is like a communication tool that people at a company will use so they can easily communicate privately in chat rooms and things like that set up different groups and threads. Okay. This is like that. It's very, very common. It's like one of the most popular uh, communication tools in the world. Gotcha. This is like that, but on steroids. It has a calendar. It has different apps that you can access. I, we, we all obviously use it. You know, we had it. We've been using it for a while, long before it was launched. Um, and it's it's an incredible product. I, I can book my travel through there. I can set up. Um, they have admin on call, so if I have a question about an HR question or any kind of issue, there's people that I can you 24-7 there. Uh, you tag other people. I can set my calendar. It links to Google Calendar. I have my email. It's just it's incredible. And what's that called again? Lark. Lark. It's available like, for business and for purchasing. There's like a premium model and then a paid model. What's interesting is uh, Facebook had a conference last week, uh, F8, I think they called it, and um, they were talking about all the different things that they're going to do, and they're pushing very hard a revamp of Messenger. As you talk about Lark, they want Messenger to be Lark. They're freaking out. You can tell right off the bat about Lark there. In the West, uh, every media account that I've read about that doesn't talk at all about Lark. They're saying it has to do more with uh, uh, Russia coming in and affecting elections, and, and Facebook is getting more toward back to uh, people want to discuss things more individually or smaller groups as opposed to putting it all out there on their news feed to the whole world. Um, but it sounds like they're also worried about Lark and other uh, uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, competitors like that, Slack, for example, um, because they're probably going to lose market share in terms of that communication, all the things that they can do. Yeah, there's, I mean, I don't know about the U.S., but already in China, there's been hundreds of different enterprises that have already purchased the product, and we're constantly iterating it. It's, it's one of my favorite things, that it's, best, it's the best tool I've ever used, that, you know, I'm only in my short career, you know, a few companies have worked at, it's incredible. Interesting, okay. So, um, so that's ByteDance, and we're at TikTok, which we said used to be Musical.ly. Let's do a TikTok 101. Let's say I'm somebody, because um, one thing you're involved in is negotiating deals between TikTok and labels, which we can't get into that because you're actually negotiating these deals. So that's sort of a sensitive thing. But if you were talking to me, I'm at a label, and you're stating, here's why TikTok is so important to the music ecosystem, explain that. Give me a TikTok 101 that I would need to know. That's great. And it's a great question that, that allows me to get the point across without, you know, Worrying, you know, saying anything that might be delicate. So, you know, TikTok is completely unique relative to all of the other social media experiences, especially in the Western world. You know, short form video is, you know, the the, the way people interact, especially in uh, the East, it's it's through short form video. I mean, it is they the way they experience the the content is just like I don't know what it is, but it's just it's just it's caught on so quickly. Hmm. So. Number one, it's totally different from YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. It's similar, there are similarities, but you have to view it in, you can't compare it, you know? Something I always find when I have these discussions is like, there's this, there's this constant like, trying to find a, a comparison, a look, looking back. What is this like? What is this, how is this similar to this or this? My job is to get them to understand it's not, we need to look at this in a new way. You know, which is sometimes difficult to do with, with the major record labels is pushing their boundaries and forcing them to look forward as opposed to look back. So that's, a, so that's number one. There's been ways different. So, very interesting. So, when I'm on TikTok and I'm an influencer and I have like 300,000 followers and I, I pick a song and I want to do a cool new challenge to this song or a cool piece of content, I post that. 
But what happens is, is when I post that, it doesn't just go out to my 300,000 followers and people can like follow it or like it or share it. They can actually then create their own version of that video, which then goes out to all of their followers. And then their followers can create their own exciting, creative version of that content. So it's this, it's this uh, reciprocal exponential growth that is what creates this viral trend. And there's been some recent examples as a result of this, especially related to music. Let's take um, a great example of Lil Nas X, you know, Old Country Road, right? This song is now where it is because of TikTok. No question. Only because of TikTok. How so? How so? So this artist, mm -hmm. who was an independent artist, very interesting, like had a, like lots of social interaction, knew how to engage on social media, not just TikTok, but others, and created a song that he developed in his mind knowing that it would be perfect for TikTok. Because really? It's a 15 second video. You're only gonna get 15 seconds of the song, you get 15 seconds to create your content and do whatever you need to do to make it as fun and as engaging as possible. So he creates this content, feeds it to various influence, influencers that are already on the platform, and then this creates this trend that I was talking about where it's like a virus, you know, or a meme, you know, everybody wants to get in and be a part of this experience, but it's not, but you don't have to feel like a follower because each version you get the opportunity to make your own original engaging version of it. So that song blows up. Everybody is like using the song and like changing into their cowboy outfits on TikTok. That song then, because now people are hearing this song for the first time on TikTok, are then getting this song. I want to check this song out in its full capacity. They go to Spotify, they go to Apple Music, they go to Apple, you know Amazon, whatever. They go to all their wherever they listen to the songs. That song then bumps all the way up the streaming charts, and as a result, he gets signed to Columbia Records. The Columbia Records takes it over the edge and he's number one on Billboard Hot 100. And to be honest, there's there's already multiple examples of this that have already occurred since then. That was the first big one, but now there's this new one called Swake of the Child. So it has this song, Fast, blew up only on TikTok. As a result, is now number one on the Spotify viral chart, which is the, num which is the biggest chart on Spotify related to like things that are bubbling on trends and stuff like mm -hmm. that on the internet. And I 100% guarantee he will make a deal with a major label within the, <laughs> if he hasn't already. And that song will certainly chart on Billboard as well. Like there's 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 a whole list of case studies that are that are starting to pop up because of the work that um, our team is doing internally, uh, both from the creative artists. Like, like we're onboarding artists all the time, and we're giving best practices to artists on how to best leverage the platform. Like create certain kinds of videos and do this and do this and, and we're engaging our influencers and making sure that they understand the best way to leverage a platform and, and giving them suggestions on how to best, uh, you know, um, create the best content for their users. So, I mean, that right there would be where I would at least start in explaining to record labels why this is an important platform music discovery, as well as the invigoration of the catalog. Uh, there's a great Atlantic Warner artist named Abso Facto. You know, he's, you know he's, he's, a, he's got followers and stuff like that, but nothing, nothing crazy. And he had the song Dissolve. Dissolve came out four or five years ago, nothing big about it. Um, has not been doing anything since. Probably going to get dropped from the label soon. We developed a filter. We have a filter on our app called Dissolve, which has to do with rain and its cool effect. From that, people found us found the song Dissolve in our library, and using the search functionality, and started this trend using using that filter and using this song. From that, it, it skyrocketed the song again on the streaming services, reinvigorated his that song as well as his catalog. Now it saved his deal with Atlantic. Atlantic now wants to go to radio with the song, and it just like it's incredible. I mean, this is a promotional. This is the most promotion, powerful promotional tool that I have ever witnessed in terms of music discovery um, as a starting point for music discovery. It's incredible. I mean, that's that's what I would say to a label. Okay. Would that work, you think? 
Yeah. No, no, I think, I think, <laughs> I think that works. Me. I think so. You, so you mentioned, I'm thinking from a label perspective and also a DIY perspective, breaking artists. So you mentioned how you have tutorials and things. So those are um, either just uh, on the TikTok dot com, um, like the way Spotify will have their blog or something, or you're reaching out directly to these influencers and explaining best how to do it. Yeah, so right now we have just direct relationships with various okay. artists, but we're open, we're not, so there's no public, like, there's, we're not hiding the best practices, like we share it with everyone, but we just haven't haven't published it okay so so what would you say okay can you say what the top three or four or five best practices are for an artist our job is not to pick certain content over another our job is just to recognize what the trending velocity and the morality of certain things using data on the platform and then just help like curate the content in such a way where it just takes it over the edge. Like we already identified this is what people like on the platform. Mm -hmm. Let's give it what it needs to get it out to even more users, right? So a couple of high level best practices. Uh, Number one, artists have an account. Too often, artists don't even have a TikTok account or not engaging on TikTok, but yet want their song to go viral. Mm -hmm. Make an account. That's number one. Number two, shoot everything in a vertical vertical uh, video format, not okay. horizontal. We thought there's significant data that showcases that when the video is shot in a vertical, it has incredible, much more engagement from viewers than on a horizontal perspective. Um, and that's the beauty of actually the service itself. It takes up when you look at it, it takes up the whole screen. Like there's no there's no CTA or any kind of graphics that block the experience. You know, so full vertical video. Um, another one is uh, choosing the uh, you know the right song for the content. Uh, another uh, one is keeping it between 10 to 17 seconds. Okay. That that range is what we find to be the most beneficial. Um, and uh, another one is you know really engaging, um, really engaging from the moment uh, the video starts. So attention grabbing immediately, and then don't but save the save the big moment for the end. So a good example of that is like. Uh, you know the Old Town Road, where like it's only at the very end where they everyone changes into the cowboy clothes, right? So it's like at that, it's like at the hit of the beat at the end, you know, boom, and then everybody changes. And that happens to the end. So uh, do you remember how long that video was? Uh, well, all our videos are are thirty seconds in length. Mm-hmm. Well, but but was that fifteen to thirty? But, but but that since you're saying ten to seventeen seconds is the best for that particular video. No, no, I'm saying ten to seventeen seconds of it isn't based on aggregate data showcases that that is the time frame in which users uh, our most popular videos are mm-hmm. that range of time. right yeah yeah and I'm asking for that I, I mean well Old Town Road I mean there's millions of videos oh okay so I don't know like uh, mm-hmm. I'm saying the example I'm giving is the challenge that everyone did in their video right okay they, like transform into a cowboy outfit okay Okay, I interrupted. Okay, so you you, you had more. Uh, did you have any more best practices that people could know? Uh, I think that's good. I think that's a good place to stop. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. So so um, I'm a DIY artist. I want my music to be on TikTok. Can I just upload it? Does it go through my DistroKid or my uh, you know my aggregator? How how am I getting my music even on? TikTok. Yeah, we don't have uh, a direct upload functionality mm-hmm. right now. Um, hopefully that will be soon, so everyone can have the opportunity. You don't have to rely on an aggregator, but right now that is the primary way. It, through an aggregator, yeah, though. Yeah, CD like CD Baby, TuneCore, whatever. It's exactly. okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and that's where I was going. Yeah. You would leverage those platforms to direct upload, yeah. Okay. Like I'm thinking, because I uploaded something through uh, DistroKid not too long ago, and I believe they had a, a, a thing where you check, and it could be, because I remember, okay, yeah, because it was for Instagram, I remember, and, and uh, so that's good. Okay. That's Do good. artists get paid for having their music on TikTok? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we don't pay artists directly okay. because we don't have the infrastructure. It's a very complicated Structure. What we do do is all the license agreements that we enter into with the aggregators like DistroKid or TuneCore CD Baby. That does include some type of, of royalty payment based gotcha. on the use of that content on the platform. And so, and then we we give reports 
to CD Baby on like who's using what and the, and the different uh, data behind that, and then uh, it's their job to then allocate those licensing funds out to those users based on that. Gotcha. And I don't know if you can disclose this, but is it uh, is it is it comparable to other streaming services like Spotify, Apple Music? Well, no, it's not. I mean, when you say comparable, do you mean the amount of money? Yes. It's. I, I wouldn't even compare them. It's like comparing apples and dump trucks. Mm. They're different services. I see. You, know, you wouldn't pay. You know, you, you just pay for sure. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Things. Absolutely. The payment structure is Spotify very complex. Different business models. Gotcha. Yeah, we have to cut all this out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. We're, we're we're done anyway. So okay, we have to, we have to stop. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but we can talk about that. Like, we can talk off about the up there. Okay. <laughs> all right. So that's sorry, Todd Sheflin, obviously holding everything back from our. <laughs> so, uh, Todd, thank you very much for being on Music Biz One Hundred and One and More. It's truly an honor to be here. Um, I am forever grateful for you, Dr. Phil, and uh, you know. William Patterson University, and I'm always, you know, I live in I live in New York, so I'm always happy to visit William Patterson anytime or talk to any of your students for any reason whatsoever. That's great, and I'm not a doctor, but I appreciate you calling me a doctor. Doc, I was going to say thank you, Dr. Shefflin, for, for doing this. And we didn't get to name your two number one hits, because we didn't cover that at all. We ran out of time. Oh, yeah. Everyone, please check out the JT Project. We just recently had um, two number one singles. Uh, uh, Overdrive was number one, and... Um, uh, <laughs> That's great. Oh, man, I, don't, I honestly don't remember. Because he's had so many number one hits. At yeah, a certain point, I can't remember yeah. them all. You know, yeah, whatever is probably oh, number Contemporary jazz charts. Check out uh, the JT. Pro- well, that's that's the charts. And we're... 37,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. Go to Spotify. JT Project. Backyard Brew. There we go. Backyard, Backyard Brew. Brew. And make it's, sure you edit that so it's like... I, yeah, make sure you check out our uh, first, our two big number one singles, Overdrive, and most recently, Backyard Brew featuring Najee on the flute. Najee yeah. on the flute. There we go. Okay. <laughs> so thank you. So uh, we thank our principal flautist, Todd Shefflin, for being here. I'm going to clap for you. And uh, to do, I want to thank you and thank you for Vanderbilt University for educating you enough to be able to speak thank and you. come here and ask good questions. So thank you very much. You didn't clap for me. I'll clap for you. <laughs> it was on my to-do list to clap for you today. That's stupid. Okay. So uh, for Todd, for to do, for Dr. Esteban Marconi, I'm your professor, David Kirkfield. At the end of every show, we do not say hello. That'd be stupid because it's the end. So you know what we say? And you can say it with me. We say, Adios! <laughs>
bonita. Y yo mal like a picha. Get respect like a 